I can't help but raise an eyebrow every time I'm asked for health advice by someone with a cigarette in one hand and booze in the other. At the risk of being Captain Obvious, there are a couple of suggestions I could make right out of the chute, like don't smoke and drink. Although the following should go without saying, I'm going to say it anyway. If you had told me in 1964, after the U.S. Surgeon General mandated health warnings on packages of cigarettes, that more than a half century later, people would still be smoking with youngsters continuing to take up the habit, I would have said impossible. We know it's the leading preventable cause of death, yet it remains a legal product. Good thing for the tobacco barons it's been grandfathered in because if someone were to try to bring such nonsense into the marketplace today, they'd be shut down by multiple government agencies. Comedian Bill Maher shrugs off people stupidly killing themselves as thinning the herd. Well, that would be fine, except their second-hand smoke is harming innocent victims, some 40,000 deaths annually. Anytime I see a parent smoking in a closed car with kids, my blood boils and I wish they could be arrested for child abuse. Speaking of comedians, early in his career, legendary comic Bob Newhart had a classic bit where Sir Walter Raleigh places a phone call to a representative of the Queen in England to report his discoveries in the New World. We hear only the rep's side of the call as he gets the disappointing news that no gold has been found, however... Sir Walter has come across a new crop. And how do you eat this tobacco, Walt? Oh, you don't. Well, then what do you do with it? Uh-huh. Dry, dry the leaves, yeah. Then roll them up in paper. Well, then what do you do? Set it on fire? <laughs> Why would you do that? So you can inhale the smoke. By now, the Queen's rep is guffawing. Sure, Sir Walter Raleigh has been putting him on. Nothing can better sum up the absurdity of smoking. This insanity has to stop. No ifs, ands, or buts. Pun intended. As for drinking, don't be misled by studies suggesting moderate drinkers live slightly longer than non-drinkers. When you delve more deeply into their skewed data, you understand how they came to that flawed conclusion. Any benefits alcohol may contribute to cardiovascular health can be equaled and surpassed by a good diet and exercise without the downsides. And we know the downsides are daunting. One in 20 people who begin drinking will become alcoholics, damaging their livers. The spirits industry has spent millions trying to cover up the fact alcohol, like cigarettes, elevates the risk for certain cancers, particularly in women. Beyond that, alcohol figures in 70% of crime and domestic abuse. 
Then there are the tens of thousands of deaths each year from drunk driving. The social ills associated with drinking reached such a crisis point in 1919, we amended the U.S. Constitution to ban it. Yes, prohibition, which, you may not know, stemmed from a policy instituted by Henry Ford at his auto plant. He was paying the highest blue-collar wages in America at that time, but as a condition of employment, his workers had to take a no-drinking pledge. As a result, productivity rose as social problems fell. Detroit became a model for the nation and was the impetus for countrywide prohibition. Too bad graft and corruption prevailed, and we didn't stick to our guns. How different an America we might be living in today, a hundred years later. Alcohol is primarily empty, bloating calories. A friend of mine lost 40 pounds by making no other change in his life but to stop drinking. A neighborhood boy I knew as a kid stopped drinking too. The night he chugged a bottle of vodka and died of acute alcohol poisoning. Forever 17. Of course, every ounce of alcohol we drink kills a bunch of brain cells. Have a few too many, and the next day you're hungover. What's the point? I don't get it. I know, for something that should have gone without saying, I said a lot. But here's a potential health hazard that you don't hear nearly enough about, in my view, and that's our new best friend, the cell phone. Yes, I am aware, as of this writing, ABC Television aired a two-hour special called Screen Time, examining concerns about our obsession with these devices and how more and more people seem to be withdrawing from human connection in favor of some virtual cyber world. That's a problem, to be sure, but there's another aspect to cell phones that is arguably more dire. The esteemed Dr. Fuller Royal referred to it as electronic soup and back in the 1990s predicted it would pose the single greatest health danger to 21st century society. Think about it. To connect literally billions of us on Earth by cell phones requires the planet to be bombarded everywhere with microwaves. Do we really know the full long-term implications of this? This phenomenon, abbreviated EMF, electromagnetic frequency, has been called into question regarding the mysterious and worrisome dwindling of bee colonies around the world. We have been consistently reassured that cell phones are safe, but then again, we were told the same thing about mercury dental fillings. Lest we forget, the drug thalidomide was approved until babies were born without arms and legs. Then there is the energy given off by the phones themselves. I lost two dear friends to brain cancer. Both made their living with their cell phones pretty much slapped to their heads throughout the day. 
it's hard for me to accept that was a coincidence. So here's a definite don't. Don't talk on your cell phones without an earpiece that allows you to keep it away from your head. Cell phones are not, however, the only culprits in the electronic soup. People whose job it is to be on a computer screen for hours at a time often complain of a general malaise, a vague feeling of unwellness they can't exactly put their finger on. My understanding from experts is this, too, is part of the EMF phenomenon. Look, the reality is there will be no escaping the digital age. It has taken over the world and is here to stay. But there is a way to combat the pervasive effects of EMF emanating from TV computers, phones, and even common household appliances. An inventor from Tesla Electronics saw this problem coming very early on and came up with a little device he called the Tesla Link. You carry it on your person, I have one in my pocket at all times, and have had for many years. I'll spare you the long and highly technical explanation of how it works and simply say it transmutes potentially damaging EMF into the benign earth resonance frequency. To learn more about or get your own Tesla link, visit our livelifeunlimited.net website. Here's one last don't, and it's a biggie. Don't be negative, especially about your health, no matter what dark pronouncements any doctors may have given you. Allow me to recap the doom and gloom heaped on me by doctors in my lifetime. After my car crash as a teenager, I was told I'd have a permanent limp, my jaw hinges would have to be replaced roughly every 10 years, my teeth would turn black within six months and fall out. After my near-fatal bout with mononucleosis, that my energy levels would never be the same as before. After the bug spray poisoning, I'd be on dialysis until I could get a kidney transplant. None of that, I repeat, none of that came to pass. I am so tired of hearing, my doctor says, my doctor says. Again, they're not God. You know, they put their pants on one leg at a time like the rest of us and can be wrong. Let me tell you a true story of just how wrong they can be. In 1985, I was contacted by a longtime friend in Denver who was calling to say goodbye. He had been diagnosed with congestive heart failure and was now near death. In fact, he told me he had at most three days to live. I implored him to come to Las Vegas so I could try to help him. He weakly rasped, it's hopeless. The doctors said they did everything they can. Okay, I countered, now let me do everything I can. I finally persuaded him and he flew in the next day. Nothing could have prepared me for how bad off he really was. The poor guy had to rest twice just to walk off the plane. As I drove him to my home, he shared with me that his condition was so debilitating, 
he hadn't slept lying down in a year and a half. When we arrived, my wife truly feared he would not survive the night. I asked that he entrust himself to me completely and do whatever I wanted without question as we had no time for debate. His response? Hey, I'm already a dead man walking. What have I got to lose? So I threw the book at him, everything I had learned, much of which I've now shared with you, the fasting, the juicing, the whole nine yards, and he dutifully did it all. Within three days, he was sleeping, lying down for the first time in a year and a half. In three weeks, he was walking a brisk mile step for step with me. He returned home to lead a normal life with his wife and children. The moral to the story? As long as there's breath in the body, there's hope. Radical change can happen if you give it a chance. Your body wants to be well. Just don't get in the way of it with bad choices. And I hasten to add, if your problems are more mental than physical, it's highly possible following the precepts in this book will favorably alter your brain chemistry and put you in a better frame of mind. It boils down to the words of an old song written by Johnny Mercer. Accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative. <laughs>